0: CD Enterprises presents Grammy Award-winning jazz singer and songwriter Gregory Porter live in concert February 25th at the Theater at MGM National Harbor. Tickets are available now at mgmnationalharbor.com. Don't miss this generation's most influential jazz sensation, Gregory Porter, live. WPFW, Building a Better World, One Broadcast, at a time. The rivers run dry shall not stand down We'll not be your
1: clown and welcome to We the People right here at WPFW eighty nine point three FM WPFWFM.org. I'm your host, David Whetstone. Thank you for joining our broadcast. If you're a new listener or a longtime listener, you might be able to discern that we're in the midst of a winter fundraising drive where we seek a connection with you and financial support. That support has enabled us to exist entirely listener-supported in, in the within the next few days for 47 years. I thank you for your persistent generosity and sticking with us throughout that time. I also want to thank last week uh, William in Charlotte, North Carolina, John in Silver Spring, and an anonymous donor in Vienna who brought me through the goal that I have to do each hour while this fun drive is going on that goal, is $500. We'd like to exceed that goal because to keep this station running, quite frankly, it cost about $350,000 a quarter. You can become a member and give a donation today by calling 1-800-222-9739. 1-800-222-9739. Or if you're listening through the internet, At WPFWFM.org, there's a bright red donate button that is secure and it makes it easy to lend us a hand with your financial support. And lastly, for those smartphone listeners, cash app, dollar sign WPFW, whether it's this show or another show, be sure to designate the show that you're contributing to. It goes to the overall support of the station. Thank you again welcome again this is we the people for this hour we're a news magazine that looks at the intersection of race history politics and culture where they intersect where they leave us a legacy and where they point us to the future Uh, that is done by organizers and activists lawyers and scholars uh uh, people who are in uh, community bodies in houses of worship uh, everyday people like you and me. To cover an important topic, what every black parent needs to know about saving our sons, our guest is Marita Golden. Ms. Golden is a veteran teacher of writing and an award-winning author of more than twenty works of fiction, nonfiction, and anthologies. She has served on the faculties of creative writing programs at George Mason University, John Hopkins University, and Virginia Commonwealth University. Miss Golden's books include The Wide Subconference of Love, that's a novel, Migrations of a Heart, one of her memoirs, The New Black Woman, and Us Against Alzheimer's, Stories of Family Love and Faith, an anthology. A literary consultant and activist, she has co-founded and serves as president emerita of the Zora Neale Hurston Richard Wright Foundation. And full disclosure, I'm a board member of that foundation. I do know um, Ms. Golden throughout our comings and goings here in Washington, D.C. What every parent needs to know about saving our sons is her latest book, and it's the subject of our conversation. I can think of nothing that fits more with our theme of revolution than to have a revolution in the home, particularly on this day of love. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. And good morning, um, Marita Golden. Welcome. Thank you for being with us.
2: Good morning, David. Glad to be here.
1: Um, Let's get right down to it because there's a lot of ground to cover. I'm going to tell listeners that we're going to talk about uh, the narrative of you raising your son, Michael. Um, uh, Allow me to join you in saying happy birthday, Michael.
2: Yes, my son's birthday is today. My mother's birthday was today. So
1: So it's love all around for you. Yeah. And um, we're going to talk about that narrative, but we're also going to get to an important section of the book, The Afterwards, which talks about very, very practical, concrete action steps that fit with the title. Tell us the context of when you first wrote the book and uh, why are you writing about sons then and now?
2: Well, the book was published in 1995, and the genesis of the book was, well, the backdrop was, of course, that period that we sort of popularly know as the the drug wars period. So the eighties
1: going into the nineties. Eighties
2: going into the nineties, and I um, had written an article for Washingtonian Magazine about um. Jay Bias and his family. Um, He was the basketball player at University of Maryland who was scheduled to have this- The Bias, right? Len Bias um, with the Boston Celtics. And then he died of a cocaine overdose. And his mother became a national activist on behalf of educating young people about drug abuse. And so I wrote an article about um, the family And then subsequently, his younger brother was killed. Um, My husband and I were middle-class family living over near Howard University at that time. My son attended public schools. I was a college professor. And yet the violence touched our lives as well when my son experienced the deaths of several of his classmates. He was in junior high school at the time. And he asked me, why would God let that happen? And so because I'm a writer, of course, if you ask me a question, I'm gonna write a book. And so I wanted to know why why God, why that happens too. And so I then set about talking to scholars, activists, young people, ordinary people, parents in our community, as we were collectively grieving at that period what seemed to be a horrific um pandemic of violence that there was no way we could end and so this was a book that was a was kind of a public act of grieving and i was trying to answer my son's question but the book is very personal um and so that came out in 1995 and i was very pleased with the response to the book it was used in a lot of schools and universities and community groups. And um, my current publishers, Mango, recently developed a line of books called Books That Save Lives. And they felt that even though the book had been written almost 30 years ago, it retained relevance. And so it's a newly revised version that, unlike the initial version, has a whole almost 50 pages of resources. Because we are living in a different time but we also sometimes feel like we're in the same space.
1: And Mango is very generous. I should tell listeners that if you choose to donate in this hour for this show, at a $75 pledge level, you can secure a copy of What Every Black Parent Needs to Know About Saving Our Sons by Marita Golden. Um, it, you know, it's great that you have the synergy of the different family and community members that are reflected in the book. I just want to say one more word about uh, Mango Publishing. Um, this book is part of an imprint series of books that save lives. And so there, are, there is a book for something. There is a book for everything, so to speak. <laughs> and in this case, uh, nothing can be more important again than strengthening a household, particularly with our young people and particularly with our black sons. There are many ways to embrace your book and subsequently its message or messages. I read your book in two ways, and I hope this gives guidance to those who secure it. One, uh, or firstly, um, your reactions, your learnings, and your actions as a parent and mother. And then secondly, a narrative regarding your son, Michael, and what he's taught you. So um, what are the things that, you were trying to instill in your son, what do you believe that we should be instilling in our sons? And and I should say also our daughters.
2: Yeah, I think back when this book was written, we weren't really talking as much about the challenges the young girls and young Black girls face. But that's a conversation that has developed over the past two decades, and we're really having that. So if I was to write a book today, I would write our sons and our daughters. Uh, one of the things I wanted to write about was I wanted to just write about a young black boy growing up, because so often the discussion around black males is uh, is trauma, violence, and crime. And um, the journey in the book is travels from Seventh Street, uh, D.C. to Nigeria where my son is visiting his Nigerian relatives. He is a young um, junior high school kid navigating questions of um, sex, um, masculinity. And you see in the book, my husband and I working with him, advising him, guiding him. Uh, He makes some mistakes along the way. um, And it's a journey of learning how to parent. I think it's important to say that I uh am not an expert, but I relied on experts. And I think parenting is both an act of deep conviction and faith and principle and surprises. <laughs> a lot of surprises. Um, I wanted my son to respect himself. I wanted him to respect others. Um, I wanted him to have a strong sense of pride in his identity, and I wanted him to feel that he would contribute to um to society in meaningful ways. And um I think that he's 46 now and just had his second child last week, a boy. <laughs> so I'm now grandmother. Congratulations. Yes. Um and I think he's he's pretty much done that. He's done it in his own way. Um taking roots that I would not have taken, but he's pretty much done it. And I mean like when I was a single parent divorced from his father, before I remarried, I made sure that he got a big brother. Um, we went into therapy together so that whatever, um, tools or institutions existed to support me, I used them. And sometimes if they didn't exist, I created them. I created, for example, a single parents group, uh, that, provided both my son and I with tremendous emotional support. So some of this was coming into parenthood with a strong set of principles. This is what I want, humanism, respect, love, and then making things up as I went along that would serve us.
1: Making things up that would serve you and your son, but also responding to those things around you. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, Um, And I'm so glad that you put pen to paper and purpose this book, because when we talk about the period of the '80s into the '90s with DC, um, there, if if I can remember and you you cite correctly, from uh, in a three-year period from 1987 to 1990, about 500 black males were killed by violence.
2: Well, there were single years in DC where three to 400 yes. were, were killed. Um, so it was a horrific, horrific time to be raising. And, and the the worst thing was, there was this conversation, the endangered black men, black men as an endangered species, which further sort of dehumanize um, the discussion and just dehumanize black boys.
1: And, uh, you, uh, you know, since then, there's been a an up and down, but unfortunately, homicide is leading cause of death for the, for males between fifteen and twenty four. So, you know, the uh, I'll ask the hypothetical or make the rhetorical remark that are our parents living by headlines and being goaded by the media? Obviously not, but they're really grappling with the realities that they and their sons face, and they face it together. Um, I will draw on your book and say that um your husband Joe, is a teacher, and at one point eight out of twenty students that he taught was was killed sometime mm-hmm. ago, yeah, and
2: You're
1: then two rest- of, and two of Michael's friends were lost to violence as well. yes, so all that's understood and they're unpleasant tragic realities, but we also have a history of how to survive thrive and hopefully uh have human flourishing um one of your friends and colleagues is the sociologist dr joyce ladner and you leaned on her for a lot of support in 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 raising michael um if i've got it correctly and you can calibrate this or correct me um being a veteran along with her sister dory of the civil rights movement and people mm-hmm. in snick and such mm-hmm. she has a high regard for what she participated in and the actions that were taken but she asked some interesting questions um was a true sense of equality gained, particularly uh, in getting integration or was something lost particularly with the concern of raising our children and um i'm curious as how you understood her answer?
2: Well, I don't know that she answered. She answered with a question.
1: (laughs) Yes, indeed. She answered (laughs) with
2: a question. And the irony is that both of us are women um, with a deep and profound and abiding commitment to and love of our communities. And we both sent our sons to private schools um, because we felt just for practical reasons we had to do that. Um, and I think the larger question she's asking is, you know, and I, is, is did we send s- some sort of false message to our children by pressing for integration? And I think that's very complicated because I think that integration or slash assimilation is a natural force in this society. Um, marginalized groups do not want to stay marginalized. So the desire to integrate um, was natural, was normal. And because of the the the, the leadership, the, the way that the movement was designed and a lot of other forces, yes, we could not have seen that integration would um impact our communities, for example, maybe weaken the institutions that we built under segregation. And there's always a side effect. There's always an unintended side effect to whatever you do. But I think that that's why movements like the Afrocentric movement, um, black studies, you know, parents um, making sure that they had conversations with their children about black pride and identity came became so important to fill in that sort of void, which I think was unavoidable. Um, and we've been... As communities, you know, we've been weakened. So we've been weakened by design, by racism and systemic racism. I mean, you know, it's it's interesting. I was listening to a basketball player on TV yesterday talking about how he set up a fund to support generational wealth in the city where his basketball team works, and he said, "Like, well, we've set aside a million dollars, and we're going to help them." Um, Low-income people buy houses. And I say to myself, a million dollars. And we think that's generational wealth. You know, and when you really understand the story of what happened to the Black community, historically, um, how the economics was just uh, systematically destroyed and our entrepreneurs killed and lynched, um, a million dollars, that's a trickle. But I applaud him what he's doing. So it's it's very complex. And... um, I think all I can say is that, yes, we there was loss and there was gain. That's all I can say. And Black parents every day wake up, most of us trying to make up for whatever was lost.
1: And to find a place to do so and to find others to join us to do so. And to
2: create the places to do so.
1: So we must invest in institutions in a larger, deeper sense of that word, Uh Institutions being living organizations with human agents, and importantly, it comes down simply to investing in relationships. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let me remind listeners that you're hearing Marita Golden. She's a veteran teacher of writing and and an award-winning author. We're turning our attention to her book, What Every Black Parent Needs to Know About Saving Our Sons. And that's indeed revolutionary. It fits in with our theme of revolutionary radio for revolutionary times. But as Ms. Golden was reflecting, we have to ask at any given time, so what do we have to give our children now? And I'd like for you, the listener, to make a gift or donation to WPFW. That would leave an institution, a voice over the airwaves, that both you and young people can hear. Won't you become a member today by calling 1 800 222 9739? 1 800 222 9739. Become a sustaining member. And at the level of $75, we have a thank you gift that often will help you in raising your son and your daughters. That's Marita Golden's book what every black parent needs to know about saving our sons. Just ask the call center about it. There are a few copies uh, given to us by Mango Publishing, Miss Golden's press, and you can have that for a $75 pledge. If a number of people call, whether it's five, 10 or 20 people call, we can exceed the $500 goal that we have in supporting the station. We're entirely dependent upon you, the listener, and in many regards, every quarter we must come to you for financial support. Become a member today. Again, that number is 1-800-222-9739, one 222 9739 or donate through WPFWFM.org, click that bright red donate button, or use Cash App, dollar sign, $WPFW. Marita Golden, thank you again for being with us. Um, I ended that segment with the important question you ask again and again. What do we have to give our children now? Sometimes, some of us, particularly as black parents or brown parents, we don't think we have much, but our spirit's not broken. We look around, Mm -hmm. and often black folk have made a way and used, I think this comes from your last remarks, what's not official what's not blessed by the status quo what's not sanctioned by the mainstream we find ways to live strive and flourish by any means necessary for instance regarding education that was an important uh, reflection that you had in your book
2: yeah i mean and i think you can look at the, for example the um the popularity the enduring popularity of hbcus i mean they are totally recognized as a bedrock part of our community, a source of intellectual, creative, and moral, and even economic strength. And over the um, past decade, they have just become so significantly important and cherished, I would say cherished in our community. And I think when you ask the question, what do we have to give our children? I think that we have strengths as a community that we often overlook. For example, you know, there's often the charge made against, you know, successful middle class or upper middle class black families that they get successful and they leave the hood and move to the suburbs. But I do not know within my circle a single successful, quote, black family that is not also a social service agency for the less fortunate members of that family. And so Black families support one another. And no Black person I know who gets a call from a family member, uh, I, my, I need money to keep myself on. I need money to pay the rent, is going to say no. And so we often overlook that. We often just say, oh, you know, they, they, sh- they should do that. But see, the on the one hand, and this is the double-edged sword of our experience, we serve as a familial, extended family support a network that supports everybody. And those members who are more well off cannot create and sustain generational wealth because of the needs of so many family members. So that's the double A. So but I think we, we need to give ourselves more credit for much more that we do that goes unrecognized and unheralded. And also, we need to give more credit to young black males who are doing good things, who are staying in school, who are um, resisting you know, the temptation to um, engage in negative activity. If there was one thing that was always my pet peeve, it was that, that those boys (laughs) who are often the backbone of the community, they don't get enough love.
1: And enough love, yeah. And indeed, that's the majority of young Black males coming into I would say
2: so. But because we're addicted to media and media is addicted to excitement, danger, violence, we have one concept of what the black male experience is.
1: I want to also say one thing, and you talk about a term that's uh, not really the greatest, single parenting. When it comes to black fathers, there's at least a sliver of the academic world that has verified that they're very present uh-huh. and put forth a lot of effort uh-huh. in raising their children.
2: Uh-huh. Exactly.
1: And, sh- and, and that's, those are the kind of shows that... I like to facilitate here at We Are yep. People. But
2: yeah, in fact, they've shown that Black fathers who are not resident with their children do have higher rates even of, of interaction with their kids than white. I mean, they may not be able to give money all the time, but they, they are actually more present.
1: And uh, with that, we're kind of talking and trying to counter a lot of... Uh, stereotypes. And I don't want them to be anchors that weigh us down, but things that we identify, talk about and release the pushes onto the more positive, proactive things that we need to do. Um, there's a, you've aptly described that it's not only a mother or a father that's raising a child, but that there are other people involved. Um, and yet um there's always particularly with black mothers uh you say in your book there's a rap against black mothers it's that we spoil our sons and raise our daughters here
2: there's truth to yeah. that mm-hmm. <laughs> i can't deny that that there is some truth to that and i think that black mothers need to to look more closely at how we mother our daughters
1: your colleague co-founder of of the Hurst and wright foundation uh, has remarked probably pretty often we tell boys to stay out of trouble and girls to be careful and i think that points to what you're getting at here how we have to really think deeply carefully and act stoutly out of the mainstream out of the conventional understanding of things
2: well, in the 30 years since, almost 30 years since that book um, was written, we've now seen so many <clears throat> black women, you know, Breonna Taylor, Sandra Bland, victims of police violence, police murder. And whereas we once thought that black men, that was something that only or largely happened to black men, we know that it happens to anyone and everyone in our community and um, so that we've had to purchase this, this understanding sort of on the backs of, the, of these women who unfortunately died. Uh, we didn't come to that understanding before that. Um, I just recently did a uh, panel discussion at Busboys about mental health in the black community. Um, and one of the panelists is a young writer named Faith Brooks And she wrote a book called Remember Me Now. And it was written during the pandemic. And she was thinking about how all these women were made iconic um, because of their deaths. And she wrote, I want you to remember me now. I want you to remember me and acknowledge me before I die. And I think that's, that's something that we all want. And it's something that we all need and in our community we can do a much better job of acknowledging and remembering before people have died, particularly died violently.
1: And I was thinking of Fannie Lou Hamer, just you know, a person of uh everyday living, but yet a <laughs> powerful figure. So if we just gently but deeply ask ourselves what do we observe about young bl- black girls becoming young women who really step forth and serve not only their families but their communities
2: and someone like Fannie Lou Hamer did it um against incredible odds
1: Odds, yes
2: you know of poverty and racism and um, physical
1: torture at it, the hands exactly,
2: of exactly 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 and I'm so glad that you know i was coming of age like in, in the in the 70s when her name was kind of a footnote and now she's really recognized as the the figure you know that she de- deserves to be and i think young people today looking at young people today my son did not have to deal with the pressures of social media and the insidious ways that social media depresses and isolates young people but at the same time social media becomes a place where black people are particularly powered the empowered the black lives uh, matter movement was essentially a social media movement and so we have to 30 years after the the uh, original version of this book came out we have to talk to young people black people about social media, how it can be used, what it's doing for them, what it's doing to them. Um, And many of us need to check our relationship with social media before we have those conversations with our children.
1: But you're generous, particularly in your book, because you recognize the engines, the self-direction, the agency uh, young black boys and young black males have. Uh, probably this is a, a good time to talk about an example of somebody who you were teaching in a writing class, mm-hmm. uh, a young man named Mark. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little about him and why I think he's an example of somebody who doesn't get sucked into a bad environment, doesn't get sucked into social media? He has his own trajectory, his own priorities.
2: Well, he grew up he's now about since forty-six. He's probably in his early forties now, but he um he grew up in Philadelphia, working class family, single mother, um, and grew up in a neighborhood that was challenged by a lot of crime. And so he found solace in reading. He found solace in books. And he Drew, he read, and he wrote. And when I met him, he was a student at Antioch College. And he said that those three things, drawing, reading, and 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 writing, saved my life. They unfortunately they, they kept me out of the sphere of the violence that was going on around me. And he's now an award-winning novelist uh, and teacher of. Writing at the University of Pennsylvania. And I think that he had a mother and he had parents and he had people around him who encouraged that, who, who encouraged him to go within and find the internal resources that would nourish him and protect him and serve him. We're talking to
1: Marita Golden. You're listening to We the People right here in your Jazz and Justice radio station WPFW 89.3 FM, also WPFWFM.org. Our topic at hand is what every black parent needs to know about saving our sons. It is indeed a revolutionary focus because WPFW is revolutionary radio for revolutionary times. Seems like that's the case all the time. I thank those who choose to support the station by calling 800-222-9739. We're far beyond the halfway point in our show. Let's deliver to you some public service announcements, and we'll be
0: right back after this. As we deliver critical information to you, we look for your response, and we would like for you to go to your phone and make the call. And pledge your support and become a member of WPFW by calling 202-588-9739. We have yet to see a dent in support for this show. So hopefully you will be the person to break the ice. Please, we need your support in order to continue bringing you this programming. You can do so by going to our website at WPFWFM.org. You'll see a Donate Now button right there. Hit that button to pledge quickly and securely. We need you right now to make this happen. It can't happen without your support. We have no universities. We have no government support. We have no corporations, no sponsors, nothing. We have our listeners. We want you to become a listener supporter. David, thank you for this broadcast. I cannot think of a book title that is more critical than this book title that you're offering, that we are offering right now. From Marina Golden, what every black parent needs to know about saving our sons sons when it was written sons and daughters saving our children at this point because all are at risk please make a difference make the phone call 202-588-9739 thanks david
2: we possess no private racial space in which to mourn or regroup dissected, discussed, but still denied full equality or justice, we see our triumphs and setbacks become the province where others ultimately reign, armed with counterfeit knowledge we fail to combat. What will this undurable loss of so many members of a generation mean? We are the ones who must speak, who must anoint this tragedy, give it a name, a designation that holds, within it, the path to a resurrection of spirit, hope, and resolve.
1: It doesn't get any clearer than that. Thank you.
2: I mean, and when I was reading that, I was thinking about, you know, for example, when I wrote that, I was writing in response to this big national conversation about Black on Black crime, young Black men as an endangered species. And yet now we look at the ways in which the Black Lives Matter movement in all of its iterations um, is now the victim of enormous backlash. We went from about 30 seconds of racial reckoning to now several years of backlash. So the question is, what do you tell a young person, a young Black boy or girl growing up in the face of books about their history and experience being banned. Um even the mention of words like diversity, equity, inclusion being erased. I think you have to also but this is nothing new. That this is this is the history of being black in America. This progress regress, this one step forward, um, then being locked in time. And that they have to do what previous generations did keep moving forward as um Douglas Frederick Douglass said agitate 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 you know people are so concerned oh gosh what are we going to do if um if Trump wins you know you're going to do the same thing you were doing the day before fight to make this a society of equal justice and it does even even if Biden wouldn't when you still have the same battle And I think that there are more young people engaged in political activity that is moving the button than we know. And I would this, but you see, there's no place in media for their stories. And so we in our institutions, in our families, in our communities, we have to lift up those stories and we have to just praise our young people. No, maybe they don't protest police brutality, but they successfully graduate from Morgan state. They get a job. They build a family. Those are the, in fact, that's actually, those are the things that weave a society together. Those ordinary decent, positive choices that we think can be taken for granted.
1: Again, listeners, you're listening to Marita Golden. We're talking about what every Black parent needs to know about saving our sons right here on We the People on WPFW 89.3 FM, WPFWFM.org. We're in the midst of a winter fun drive, which means we count on you, the listener, as we have in our 47 years of existence with your support. That's how we exist in our entirety, through your support. Become a member today, one 222 9739 If you've been listening to us during this hour, you know that we're talking about a very, very important concern and issue for our entire community, our entire community. And we want to empower you to do that. Some of you out there would probably want to read and have at hand Marita Golden's book, What Every Parent Needs to Know About Saving Our Sons. There are about 10 copies there at your disposal as a thank you gift from us to you if you call and make a pledge of $75 today. That's one 800 222 9739 9739 if you can't hit that pledge level i would still appreciate any contribution you can make whether it's large or small it's a modest goal for the thousands of people who are listening to help each hour raise in my case 500 dollars or exceeded i'm asking you won't you become a member today we're going to give you some more reasons why with the remaining minutes. I mentioned, uh, Ms. Golden, the afterwards, The afterword of your uh, latest iteration of the book is so important. You have a colleague that has provided a valuable resource that I think every parent would like to have. I will start off with saying, in your narrative about Michael's early life growing into adulthood, you modeled encouraging, open conversation with him. He honored and understood that you were constantly creating a safe space for him. What are some of the other particulars in in having that open conversation of having a growing, thriving relationship?
2: Well, I think if, if I were raising a young person today, it's one thing, for example, to go into therapy with your, your your kid to sort out different issues that they may be having or that you may be be having together as parent and child. But in addition to that, I think it's really important to talk to young people about mental health as important as physical health. Um, we live in a society that is designed to encourage and sustain our ill health, um, it's designed to do that by in the way that the foods that are foisted on us, by the fact that we don't have a universal healthcare system, by the fact that guns are so easily obtained, and I think our kids need to know that we need to have just like you know you you say, how am I going to talk to my kid about sex <laughs> you know. We need to talk to our kids about the society they live in and the things that they need to do to protect themselves in this this kind of society. So I would talk to kids today about, you know, OK, we went say, for example, hypothetically, we went into therapy because you were being rebellious. Enough. But at different points in your life, you need to understand that it's OK to go into therapy. And. For example, I would tell my kid now, today, that at several different passages in my life, I've sought therapy. And um, that was an important tool that helped me heal, helped me be whole, and helped me be healthy. So you want to normalize. I think that's really, really important to normalize. I mean, we're talking about a situation, for example, I have a granddaughter who a couple of years ago, uh, I think she was in the fifth grade, and one of her closest friends slipped her a note during class and said that she felt so sad, she felt so bad, she wanted to kill herself. Now, in my generation, that would have been unheard of, but these young people are being uh, pummeled by so many forces that we don't understand. So my granddaughter took the note to the teacher and shared it with the teacher. And the teacher was then able to get support for that child. Now, my granddaughter is kind of a, you know, take charge, you know, person, which I think is why her friend reached out to her. So that my granddaughter needs to know that the thing that she did was a good thing but also that there may be other t- there may be times when she may feel like that and that she can say to her mother or grandparent, I want to talk to somebody. This is really, really, really. And we're at a time now where there's so much inf- more people now want therapy than there are therapists for them. But that's one of the th- most important things I would talk about. And for, for black kids, Who have the stress of racism baked into their lives, that's really, really crucial. And I would talk, one thing parents don't do, and I understand why we don't do it, is if we're having a problem, you know, we kind of want to shield the our children from that problem. We want to go off and solve the problem and then come back, hey, you know, everything's solved. But I think now, knowing what I know, that I think it's good to be honest about. Problem solving, and say to our, our our children, you know, I've had such and such a problem in the past. It was really tough. It was really hard. I I didn't know what to do, and this is how I solved that problem. This is what I did, and we don't we 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 sort of put problem solving in this this box, and I think we really need to open that box. We, our our kids will have a deeper understanding of what it means to be a human and a parent if we have those conversations.
1: Yeah, and what you're pointing to is not something just rote or mechanical. Um, sophisticates, sophisticates would like to say you're providing the stockpile of emotional intelligence for that <laughs> young person to get through to get okay. through life. Okay, that, yes. That 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 feelings need to be honored. Yes. Um. That we need to be honest and open. You've already modeled that in what you said. We need to listen actively to one another, and and validate feelings. Um, yeah, that that's not enabling anything. But you you feel what you feel. You go through life. You encounter things.
2: And um, I can't see that we're not invincible. I mean, we're trying to be invincible and perfect. They look. They see how uninvincible <laughs> we are.
1: Well. There's that and other things. Uh again, I'm forgive me, I'm not remembering the name of your colleague that supplied the afterword, but MJ
2: Fievry. Fievre. Yeah, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And
1: she um uh has a, a number of works on on parenting and raising children that are are very important.
2: And there's so much online. Oh my goodness. So uh, many online. We're understating
1: the listed resources that are there for you
2: community forums and blogs, Uh, legal advice websites, organizations and nonprofits, podcasts and videos, um, apps.
1: Yeah, also, particularly on mental health issues, they're now apps that can uh, help lead people in the right direction and particularly focused in helping young people. Mm-hmm. So we've talked, a lot of people would say these are the basics, but they're not really. And they have changed over time. Each family, even if they're not feeling fully resourced, but I do hope they feel resourced through WPFW. Um, they can talk about the importance of history and culture of their communities. They can grapple along with their young person about family history, whether it's lost or robust. Um, they can talk about some sense of uh, n- navigating in the world, some sense of so- so- social skills. And then, importantly, um, you know, throughout your book, you indicate that kids have good emotional and cognitive radar. They really do understand and feel deeply what's going on around them. Yeah. If we advocate for them, that's a model of our relationship. Yeah. That's yeah. a model for the relationship that's a model for that young person and it's a demonstration of love. What more would you say in our last minute or two?
2: Well, I think, you know, there's a four letter word that's very important and that's hope. And um, you can give kids all the support and all the services, all the material things, but if they don't have hope that, they can be empowered to create a powerfully positive future. None of that will really have an impact. And I think that's what you're seeing on the streets of Washington, D.C. Young people who, for whatever reasons, do not have hope that they can or believe that they can create alternates to negative, violent, and often criminal activity because they know that these things will impact their future, but if they don't believe they have a future that's viable, it doesn't matter.
1: And so that's our responsibility as parents, as neighbors, as members of their lives through our communities, is it not? Definitely. At this point, Marita Golden, I have to say thank you. Thank, thank you so you, much David. for uh, the the book. Uh, Again, what every Black parent needs to know about saving our sons. Thank you for spending time with us. And uh, I appreciate you. And I encourage everybody to
2: support WPFW. It's a local treasure, a national treasure. So much really important information that we can't get anywhere else.
1: And you can do that by calling 1-800-222-9739. As the show is coming to an end, you can still continue to give past this hour. If you're designating my show, it would be much appreciated. One anonymous donor in Washington, D.C. has gotten us started. I sense that there are probably other calls at 1-800-222-9739. That figure is going down. Hopefully, I can come back to you in the next broadcast and say thank you. Thank you for helping me exceed the $500 goal. We the People, WPFW, the News and Public Affairs Department, our engineers Mike Nasella and Kalia, we all appreciate you. Please stick with us. Please donate and become a member today. 1-800-222-9739. Coming up next is the news with Sue Goodwin. Don't forget the Blues in every noon day week, weekday. I'm sorry, let's try that again. At noon every weekday in the Wednesday edition with Clarence the Bluesman Turner at 1- Mouisa Mutali with Africa Now will talk about the postponed Senegal presidential elections. Again, with my time remaining, please do become a member today. 1 800 222 9739. Thank you for listening and take care.
3: From WPFW News in Washington and WBAI in New York, I'm Sue Goodwin. House Republicans yesterday voted to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas over what they say is his failure to enforce border protection. The measure passed by a single vote and came after a failed effort to do the same last week. Last night's tally was 214 to 213, with three Republicans siding with Democrats. The articles of impeachment will next be sent to the Democrat-led Senate for a possible trial. The majority, however, could potentially vote to acquit Mayorkas or otherwise dismiss or delay the impeachment. Democrats and even some Republicans have blasted the impeachment as a political effort not backed up by evidence. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer called the vote a new low for House Republicans and said, quote, The one and only reason for this impeachment is for Speaker Johnson to further appease Donald Trump. Close quote. In more political news, Democrat Tom Swasey, won a special election in New York yesterday to finish the term of Republican George Santos, who was expelled from Congress last year. Swazi defeated Nassau County Legislator Mazzi Melesa Pillup in the race for the state's third congressional district. His victory narrows the already slim Republican majority in the House and could prove critical in upcoming legislative battles. During his victory speech, Swazi pointed to the divisions in the U.S. and said his campaign focused on targeting voters looking for bipartisan solutions. Thousands of rideshare drivers in the U.S. for Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash are expected to be on strike today to demand fair pay. The campaign group Justice for App Workers previously said in a blog post that the drivers were, quote, sick of working 80 hours a week just to make ends meet, close quote. The group, which says it represents 130,000 drivers and delivery workers across the East Coast and Midwest, wrote that its members plan to stop giving rides to and from all airports in 10 cities including Chicago and Miami for two hours today. In the UK, another campaign group has said that more than 3,000 food delivery workers are expected to strike for five hours. And concerns are mounting for the safety of Palestinian civilians crowded into the southern city of Rafah, the target of an expected Israeli military operation and where over a million displaced Palestinians have sought refuge. U.N. aid chief Martin Griffiths warned in a statement yesterday that, quote, military operations in Rafah could lead to a slaughter in Gaza, adding, quote, they have little to eat, hardly any access to medical care, nowhere to sleep, nowhere safe to go, close quote. Meanwhile, a spokesperson for the UN told the BBC's NewsHour the UN had not received any Rafah evacuation plans from Israel and would not participate in any forced evacuation. Talks involving the U.S., Egypt, Israel, and Qatar on